Hi, everybody. Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development, and happy International Women's Day to you all. This is a special part of our Veteran Stories Difference Makers, and I've got three incredible women, incredible difference makers, military veterans who have given their time to share their stories and share their wisdom with us today. So I want to hand over, and I'm going to step back and let Graciela run the session today. So Graciela, over to you. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Hansen. So this is going to be a fun conversation with two of my fellow women veteran sisters. And I want to introduce you to Melissa Steinman, who's up in the Portland area. She, I like to describe her as Coast Guard cutter, small boat driver turned inquisitive marine researcher. And Olivia Chavez Carroll, who has experience both serving in the Marine Corps and in the Army and being a Marine and being an Army helicopter pilot. And she has become a consultant and a veteran advocate and an author. So I want to celebrate the two of you on this day. And like as we celebrate just being women and all that we can do and all that we have done and all that we've yet to do. So thank you for joining and sharing the stories. I'm really spotlighting you guys today. So I'm just going to be that question asker. And then you guys have such rich stories to share. So let's just start with Melissa. Uh, I know that, um, you know, you and I have talked during some of the, the branding sessions, but I would love for you to just tell us, you know, what was your initial uh, desire to join the Coast Guard? Where did that come from? And what was that like to, to make that decision to start? Yeah, thanks, Graciela. Um, Man, you know, I didn't come from a, a military family. My grandfather had been in the military, but uh, my, my dad and my mom, you know, never were. Mm -hmm. And so when I was just looking at schools, I started to look really at what matched my goals and really what matched my core values. Mm -hmm. And so when I read uh, what the Coast Guard Academy, what their core values were, it already matched. But, you know, I, I jokingly have have told my students when I was teaching that, um, you know, we had dial up internet. And so it was kind of, mm -hmm. <laughs> you only had a limited amount of time. <laughs> and I didn't make it to the page that said that you had to have chemistry, calculus and physics in order to apply to ah. the academy. Um, and so I just, I just did the application and I wrote an essay telling them how my core values matched and that either the Coast Guard was going to benefit from it or corporate America was going to benefit from it. It was really up to them. Mm. And, and I got accepted. <laughs> so I went um, and I met some amazing people. But two and a half years in, um, after meeting with some of my enlisted mentors who were serving on Eagle, mm -hmm. um, I realized that while the Coast Guard's core values matched my core values, uh, what officers did and what enlisted did, um, enlist, what the enlisted did was really more in line with what I wanted to do. And by then I had fallen in love with the ocean. And so um, I ended up getting out and going reserve enlisted and really did practical oceanography for the next six years as a, a tactical small boat coxswain. So it was really interesting later on when I was working in the admissions office at the academy to see one warrant officer. And I, I jokingly said, you know, they, that someone decided to give the dumb girl a try. And he got really mad and he said, I didn't think you were dumb. I thought you had heart. Wow. And so it was really just one person who decided that I did match the Coast Guard's core values and yeah. gave me a chance. And so, you know, eight years later, I, 
I ended up getting out so that I could finish my degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, it was one of those times that it was an, a happy accident that I, I didn't know all the rules and mm-hmm. I challenged those rules and someone let me in. But see, what's wonderful about that story is that you, you just strongly put yourself out there. <laughs> Either you're going to get me and my talent or corporate America is going to get me. So I love that starting point where you knew you had value and you're going to go out there and offer it. And then you just make that decision work for as long as it works and you learn what you learn, right? Yeah. And, and the most important thing is that you got to see that difference between what the officers are doing and what the enlisted corps is doing. And then you made a different choice. So I think that's all awesome in how you very specifically walked the path to see what you could learn. And then you made a choice that that you're still making the right choice out of it. That's awesome. Right. And that pivot was very informed. And I still have those people in my life who helped me make that decision and who were my roommates at the academy. So it wasn't a loss. It It wasn't a loss. Yeah. And your love for the ocean is such an awesome theme that you've carried through. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So Olivia, um, you joined the Marine Corps, and I know that you're from a long line of, of family members that have served. Um, tell us about, you know, why the Marine Corps and how you made that decision. Well, um, yes, I do come from a long line, um, and I come from a long line of Marines. So um, I knew that if I joined the service, I was going to the Corps. I mean, there were there were no other options. And so I remember I'm from a small town in um, in the Los Angeles County called uh, San Fernando, and we are our own city. Like we have our own mayor, mm-hmm. own council, and we're only 2.5 mile, 2.5 square miles round. So we're mm-hmm. we're tiny, but we are mighty. So we had our own recruiting station, and I remember going in there and saying, "Okay, let's check it out." So I walked in, and the Air Force said hello, the Army said hello. I poked in. There was nobody in the Marine Corps office. The Navy said hello, and I walked out. And they're like, "Hey, hey, hey, wait, wait." I was like, oh, I'll be back because it wasn't even an like I didn't even give it a second thought because I already had these, in all honesty, these preconceived notions about what was what, right? Because Mm -hmm. my brother, my brother did go to the Navy. He was a a nuclear power submarine driver. Mm -hmm. So he was an officer in the Navy and I knew that I had to go to the military. I was not, um, Back then, they didn't have, you know, in the early 90s, it wasn't like, oh, Olivia's tactile. She, this, she needs hands-on. She needs, it was all reading, 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 and watch this. when I would watch videos and have to respond, I was great. Mm-hmm. But if I just had to read it, it just, I just wasn't processing. My processing was completely different. And so I struggled in high school. And mm-hmm. when I did do well, there were always little snide remarks from my, my professor, my teachers at the time. Mm-hmm. So... I knew I had to go to the core because I just wasn't, I, to me personally, I didn't feel like I was college material because mm-hmm. I hadn't set myself up, you know, mm-hmm. ninth grade, 10, like I didn't start thinking about even the notion of going to college until maybe the 11th, 12th grade. So mm-hmm. by then it was, to me, I thought it was just too late mm-hmm. and the core just seemed like a natural progression. Right. Um, well, clearly it was in your family. You had the experience. So it wasn't an unknown. It was like, you're going to the core. No, yeah. right? So I knew and- I needed to grow. I, I knew I needed to, I had this, I had the self-awareness to know that I needed to grow up mm-hmm. and it was the Marine Corps that was going to help me do it. And so right. my uncle, he's actually he was born in Mexico and he was born in Guadalajara and he was the first in our whole family. He's kind of like the first one that I know of, um, that went to the military. He went to Vietnam mm-hmm. and you know, he, he was sort of the path. The rest of us took my, my other uncle, his younger brother went to the Corps. Mm-hmm. And so there's, now, as of today, I have 
an active duty Marine and active duty Air Force uh, in our family. And there are over 17 of us that served in the military. Are so, you still the only woman in your family who has no, served? Or is there no, someone else has joined it? Um, it's funny because on my mom's side of the family, we have three and on my dad's, I guess it would be considered two. So you were the first. Yeah. So it's, it's growing and it's exciting. Yeah, that's I, awesome. That's wonderful. So, good. So. Good. So again, very different choices, very different decision-making processes, but you know, you decided to serve and, um, all right. So then that goes on and you serve and you have your adventures and you learn and you have your eyes open and you, you do the different paths that you do. And then at some point you decided that it was time to leave and turn the page and have another chapter after your enlistment in Olivia's case and after your service, Melissa. So tell me about the decision that you made. Um, I, I like how you use the word intention, very intentional, very informed decision. So then you decided to leave the Coast Guard and then do what next? Yeah. So after three deployments after 9-11, um, as a tactical coxswain, there wasn't, um, you know, the, the Coast Guard hadn't really intended to have those deployable units. There were uh, combat deployable units mm -hmm. in, you know, an 18, 20 year conflict. And so I, with that uh, certification, I really, my, my choices, I could have gone to a small boat station, but eventually I was going to get pulled back into a combat deployable unit uh, just because we were short staffed all the time. And and I loved the ocean so much and I really wanted to finish my degree. And, and to be honest, my parents had just been worried about me for a long time <laughs> for each deployment. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was time to give them a break and to give me a break. And so I thought, mm -hmm. well, I'm going to get out. I'm going to finish my degree and then I'll see if I need to reenlist later. And I so I finished my degree. I volunteered on a research cruise, which was amazing. 42 days at sea. Mm -hmm. um, from Samoa to New Zealand with the University of Rhode Island. And then I came back and my dad, while I was deployed, had finished his dream in life, which was to go back to school. Um, he did a, a two-year degree and got his, um, his license as a contractor. Mm -hmm. And he opened Terry's Home Repair, which had been his goal for, you know, since we were little. And I worked with my dad for a year and a half remodeling homes and, you know, doing remodels, which sounds silly, except it was, you know, 40 hours a week spending time with my dad and learning these skills from him. And mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so after um, in 2008, you know, the housing market took a dip mm -hmm. and I decided to try to see if education was, it was always something that had kind of drawn me where I was a training petty officer when I was in the Coast Guard. Um, when I had been doing research as an undergraduate, I was the person who um, my research partner and I would be tagged if an elementary group was coming in. And so life had just always been saying, you know, you're going to be an educator somewhere, <laughs> somewhere mm -hmm. in here, you're going to be an educator. And yeah, I love so it. I, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I went to a, my old middle school and I started subbing as a classified staff to see if middle schoolers drove me crazy. Mm -hmm. And it turns out they were my favorite age group. And yep, we're a special mm -hmm. breed. That's, <laughs> that's yeah. the middle school age group. Yeah. And so I went back and got my master's in teaching. Ended up teaching for um, six years here in Oregon and a, a year at work for Arizona Game and Fish uh, down in Arizona. And then I shifted again, pivoted again. And while I was teaching, I used those skills. So we had a, a carpentry program that I taught in. 
Um, I used my Coast Guard skills doing um, a fire and emergency services mm -hmm. uh, program of study, a career and technical education program for my students who needed that tactile hands-on learning. Yeah. And and then I taught. Yep. And, mm -hmm. and then I taught science and oceanography was one of those classes. And so I had really just pulled together all of the areas of my background um, to serve the needs of my students. Um, wow. But the, the grant right there, because because that's that's worth celebrating right there. OK, you just put together your your love of the ocean, your time on the ocean the pieces of that career that you wanted to bring forward and you mashed it up with that desire to teach kids. I think that's an incredible blend and an incredible transition part of your story. You went straight into working for your dad and then that led to something else. I think that's amazing. And it's it speaks to the versatility and the massive skill set that we women veterans have that are not always known, right? Mm -hmm. Because I didn't know that part about you working with your dad. That's super cool. Um, so yeah, I just I just wanted to celebrate that. That's really super cool. Um, and then there's going to be yet another transition where you become a student. But let's let's get back to, yeah. to uh, Olivia's transition. She leaves the Marine Corps, and she also is hearing the call to go to school in a different way. And so tell us about the transition out of the Marine Corps into what you did into when you went into the next service. Well, I. Um... Um, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I had um, made the decision to go back to school. Um, and I thought, okay, obviously I have the GI Bill. It was sort of the, just the, I think to me at that time, I thought it was just a natural progression. I went to the Corps, it's time to use my GI Bill. And back then, I'm going to tell you, for those people that are listening, this was early, this was be, like 97 that I started going back to school. So our GI Bill was like, I don't know, maybe 600 and I think it was even $660. It was very minimal compared to what it is now that we got to bring home. But I was so, I, I really wanted to go back to school and I, I wanted, I needed as many of the benefits to go for me because I was a single mom at this time. So I, I needed the, the additional money to help raise my son. So I actually went to Los Angeles Community College. It was, a, uh, it's called Pierce College, which I absolutely, I, I love Pierce College and where it's going. And I went to school for a dollar, a dollar, one dollar. I did my research. I looked for grants. I, you know, and that was the first time I started at like kind of started the little pieces of telling a little bit of my story because I was embarrassed to be a single parent. I was embarrassed mm -hmm. that I came from, you know, an abusive relationship. I was embarrassed of all those things. Mm. But I had a, one of my professors said to me, Olivia, there's so much out there for you, not only as a veteran, as a woman, as a Latina, mm. like she just went down this list. And I was like, mm. uh, okay. Mm. Uh, and so I just started going into, and back then, you know, we didn't have, we even know if we had the internet. Not Well, not like we do now, you know. <laughs> so I... I we had some internet had dial up. Internet. Who said dial up earlier? In the Marine Corps, we had intranet. So, right. Um, yeah. I was you got your info. You got your info. Yeah. I started walking to all the offices to fill out these applications, and I went back to school, and I, I, uh, I decided that I want. I knew, I knew from the very beginning that I wanted to study politics. I wanted to study mm -hmm. political science. So I got my, um, my degree in political science. But in the process of getting my degree, nine eleven happened. So, mm -hmm. nine eleven happened, and. Um, I was due to graduate the following, you know, um, the following year. Um, and so I, the first day it happened, obviously, I, I think everybody remembers where they were. Um, but 
it stayed with me because at school we started receiving bomb threats. We were, they were evacuating the school. There were, there was constantly things going on on campus. And so that really stuck with me. And I started making phone calls about going back into the Marine Corps. But then I was like, in the Marine Corps, you can't go back in. So I got accepted to University of South Carolina, packed up my mm -hmm. son, packed up my little Ford Escape, and I drove to South Carolina and I studied government and international relations. And mm -hmm. I minored in Spanish. And while I was there oh. is when I was approached by another uh, by another Marine who said, try the guard. I'm like, the guard? I'm not going to the guard, you know? Again, these preconceived notions of what, what service was what, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. I really heard a lot in that time frame because I had another, other Marines were telling me this is where I should go. And so then mm -hmm. I ended up joining the South Carolina Army National Guard. Um, and the funny thing is I didn't have to go to basic training. I didn't have to go to, I didn't have to do anything. All I had, they're like, sign these forms. Here's your uniform. <laughs> see you next month and I was like oh okay but well, I there's other ways yeah no I, I love your story because yeah I no I love that you did that I love that you gave another service a chance you mm -hmm. know to, to to utilize your awesome talent right but then they didn't stop there they went ahead and um somebody encouraged you to go fly yes um I believe he's lieutenant colonel uh Adrian Priester now back then he was a captain You muted. Um, I was dumbfounded by, he's like, hey, I heard you want to be an officer. Uh, yeah, but I'm too old. Because I was all, I was, again, thinking of what the rules and regs were for the Corps. And he's like, no, you're not. You could, you know, and so I was like, yeah, of course I want to go to OCS. He's like, I want to fly. And I was like, why not? I'm here. But it was never like a forethought as when I was a kid, it just wasn't something. And then they put me in a helicopter. They're like, here, try to, they thought it was rather amusing because I think somebody videotaped it. They, to cover, because hovering is not, it's not a natural thing. Mm -hmm. I was like the pendulum like this, like mm -hmm. it was, mm -hmm. it was pretty funny. But the fact that here I had the only African-American man in our unit flying come to me and say, hey, look, this is something you can do. You can do this. And I was scared. I mean, I was five feet tall. I was not from South Carolina. And, you know, and in the National Guard in that time, I mean, they're still flying the rebel flag in the front of the state house when I went to flight school. So it was a big deal. And I, I'll be honest, I wasn't looking at the big deal. I was looking at, okay, I want to do this. Now that I've decided I want to do it, you're going to let me do this. Yep. And yep. right now. So- right. It's pretty yeah. awesome. And I, I appreciated everything that South Carolina wow. helped me do. Wow. You know, I'm just thinking about how, you know, again, so reflecting on your story, you are on the other side of the country. You're a single mom. You are in school. And yet the universe is bringing you mentors and the universe is bringing you people who see much more in you than you see in yourself. And I think that is such an important part of our for all of us, you know, to, as we move into the next chapter, that someone else is around so that those little voices in our head that, you know, tell us that we know everything about everything, that those will go away and we can receive other information. And I'm so glad that, that you listened and that you got that opportunity. Okay. So then back to Melissa. So you, you're working, you're teaching, and then you made a decision to go to school to complete your degree. And this is where you and I intersected at Portland State. Um, what's that been like for you to then have this new persona of a, being a student veteran? And then we have about 10 minutes left. So I want to blend this question. So tell us about, you know, being a student veteran and then 
really formulating this new identity for yourself because you're looking ahead. You're you're someone that's always looking ahead, right? So you're you're in school and you're studying, but you're also thinking ahead about who you're going to be. What has that been like for you to be a student and to be figuring out your identity? Um, and then very specifically, I'm going to ask you a question after you answer that one um, okay, about sure. how, how we work together. Yeah. So this the transition has probably been one of the hardest in, in my life um, because I think, you know, after I think I moved up here to Portland when I was 37 or something, mm-hmm. um, but I had been the first female in the history of my unit to be a tactical boat driver. I had been, um, you know, there were definitely women before us at the academy, but we still were a small but mighty number. Um, and then I, when I was teaching, we successfully wrote and executed two grants at a very small high school for around $700,000 over the course of four years. Yeah. And so for 186 kids, that was a lot of opportunity. Um, but so I had been highly successful in in all of these things with a lot of hard work and mm-hmm. along the way and a lot of great team members. And then I shifted to do a post back in biology so I could fill in some gaps like organic chemistry and you know the classes that I didn't take before I went to the academy, molecular biology, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the going back to school, I was new again at, you know, I was I was not an expert. And I had been so accustomed to being an expert that being new felt like a failure. Right. And so I just kept going to class and finding people that could, you know, would help me with different classes. And I got excited about more things. Um, I ended up in a virology class, which I never thought I would do. And that professor is amazing and and allowed us to do some hands-on research in the lab. And I volunteered in a lab and got to know that professor. And then I applied for um, what was called Voc Rehab then, VRNE um, now. And they said, yep, if you're gonna do work in research, you need an advanced degree in research. And so I went to my PI and I said, you know, can I can I stay in the lab and for a couple more years and do a master's mm-hmm. degree? And she said, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. So Love. I've been, um, I went on another research cruise w- with her and ended up, um, having the samples that I needed to be able to move toward a master's. And so that has has worked out. But many times along the way, um, I have really had to reframe for myself what being new means. And it doesn't mean that I'm a failure. It means that I am just like everyone else who's doing it for the first time, mm-hmm. who hasn't had this history of a lot of successes based on hard work. Right. So, yeah. Right. right. Tell, say that again. I was so good. And I was listening so intently. I didn't write it down. How did you say it, that you were? I was so used to being an expert that what, what was that that you said? Yeah, the, I think that's new, a quote of a quote right there. Yeah, the being new felt like a failure. I was so, so just, used to being an expert that being new felt like a failure. Yeah. I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then so that actually is a reason to like keep doing the same thing. Yeah, right, and I, I think wanna, it, I don't want to go do something different and then feel like I don't know anything. I want to just stay here. That's that's the comfort zone, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think it really feeds into that imposter syndrome for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That when you you feel like an imposter, but then when you look back and you're like, wait a minute, no, no, I I'm not an imposter. I have all these other s- skills. I'm just new at this one thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I think we need to like, yeah, that whole imposter syndrome. It's 
you feel like you don't belong there, but that's because you're still learning. Yes. You're evolving into a new thing, right? It's not imposter syndrome. It's lifelong learner syndrome. Maybe we need to like switch it up. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm about to, I'm scheduled to defend my um, master's. You know, of course, COVID created uh, some uh, delays in different things. We weren't allowed in the lab for a while. The field work I'd scheduled to do, um, we weren't able to do. So I had to do a hard pivot um, of my whole thesis. And, um, and so I'm scheduled to, to defend in November. And then I'm going to be looking for uh, PhD programs. Amazing. Amazing. And you and I intersected when you were there at Portland and uh, the university brought in a virtual workshop during COVID to help uh, the student veteran population to begin to think about how they're going to tell that story when they do finish. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have your personal branding that you wrote as part of that workshop because we did the workshop and then we did the consultation later. Would you mind if I shared it? No, go ahead. Because I, I really, really like it. So I'm going to pull that up. I have it right here. So this is what Melissa came up with. And I'm just going to read it straight up. And um, just to give you an idea of, of what she was able to put together, like drawing from all these parts of her life, which is the process. Okay, so here it is. I'm Melissa, inquisitive marine researcher and lifelong student on and off the sea and the systems with which it interacts. I bring my collaborative, tenacious personality and natural, natural curiosity to all I do. As comfortable prototyping, tinkering, and physically building things as I am doing experimental design and data analysis of large data sets of DNA sequences in the lab. Whether co-authoring successful grant proposals to bring new programs to students, students, training and teaching freshmen on a Coast Guard cutter, or grabbing a 50-foot corbisalt from the mid-ocean ridge in the South Pacific. I'm the inquisitive professional with excellent listening and troubleshooting skills who's excellent at managing the expectations of stakeholders. Whew, I love that. I love how you wrap that all up. That's so good. And so I, I think you are such an amazing example. And thank you for coming here today to share the story of how to do your forward-looking branding, to really tell your story, you need to have that moment, that time to really draw upon all those amazing things that you've already done that maybe you forgot about or you overrode it with other memories, but they're there. They're, 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 they're your attributes, your skills to bring forward to the next audience as you apply for your PhD program. So I, I think that's such a beautiful example, Melissa. Thank you for letting me share it. Thank you. Thanks so much. And Olivia, so you flew, you deployed, you finished your degree, you became an officer, and you've done another transition after that. And now you're doing some consulting work and you're doing some veteran advocacy work. Um, you have so much to draw upon as well. How do you, um, well, I, I know because I took it to the exercise, what, this year, right? Last year? May? Oh, last year, yeah. <laughs> May? Um to draw upon those things, but I don't know if you have yours ready or nearby or anything like that that you can share. But I think what I would really love to hear from you is with all these diverse experiences that you've had, how do you how do you feel about the process to try to, you know, sit down and grab those parts and communicate them for whatever's next? How does that feel for you when you have so many pieces to draw upon? What's that like? <sighs> Sometimes it can be overwhelming just because depending on who I'm talking to, right? Um, and, and like today, we as women have to allow ourselves 
to be whatever we want, you know? <laughs> and I mean, and I have been told you need to pick, you didn't know, I don't need to do anything but be me. You know, I, <laughs> and you know, it's so funny is that my cousins, I'm going to tell you, this is perfect. <laughs> so my cousins, um, I went home to visit and they asked me, so what exactly do you do? Right. <laughs> They're like, you're on the computer. We see you on the internet. We, like, what do you do? And I'm like, Mm. I do OJ because <laughs> growing up they used to call me OJ because my initials are mm -hmm. Olivia Joy yeah. and they could not stop laughing they're like okay I'm gonna walk around my cousin Maddie and Elisa were like I'm gonna walk around and just say I'm just I'm just doing I guess I'm doing me yeah. right ever that looks like I'm doing me and so in that process I even you know I became a uh, I'm in the process of the John Maxwell certification so I'm a John Maxwell speaker and coach and I started my MBA on leadership management because I want to be able to take all of this knowledge, right? Melissa said it perfectly. We're so used to being experts at something. You know, even even when I went to flight school, wow, I, I mean, I studied like I had never studied before because, you know, you just like with driving your boat, just like mm -hmm. you and you, um, you know this as well, Graciela. There's mm -hmm. a difference between will, shall, and or if mm -hmm. right yeah. in our world in emergency procedures and so that's kind of how i look at it and i mm -hmm. i try to put myself in the position of who i'm talking to before i you know but i i always want to be authentic and genuine and that's why i comment about like the way i learned grow the way i started studying growing up because mm -hmm. now at least i know how i study i know mm -hmm. how to learn and i mm -hmm. Each, I, I taught actually military academy students from sixth to 12th grade. And I'm mm -hmm. going to tell you, Melissa, sixth grade, like literally the sixth grade, that's probably my my limit. Either that or some honors <laughs> or because I'm like, down. so anyway. <laughs> but I, so yeah. I grow together with that with, um, I'm now the chair of the California Women Veterans Leadership Council. So mm -hmm. ladies, if you're a mom, a sister, a wife, a vet, uh, you know, a woman veteran, please, you know, go to the LinkedIn site. You can connect with us. Um, we really are focusing, you know, again, growing each other. That veteran nucleus is right. not, no, it's no longer, you know, the two parents and, and, and their children, right? That veteran nucleus is Zoe, my dog, is, you know, my neighbors. My veteran nucleus is, is, is an individual to me just as much as my DNA and fingerprints. Right. And it's so right. important that... Mm -hmm when we do that, you know, that when we're having these conversations, we let each other know it's okay. It's okay mm -hmm. that you have these wild dreams. They're mm -hmm. beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I first wrote, um, when I got um, with the um, Behind the Rank volume four, and I got to write in this with um, Lila Holly and the and the um, Camouflage Sisters, it really made a difference for me because I had to dig down deep in places that I don't wasn't very comfortable with and right. share things in public that are now in print that I can mm -hmm. never erase or put away. So, right. you know, for me, the transition, I, I've learned to look at it like this. We are in transition every day. I have mm -hmm. the transition from my bed <laughs> to my desk. I know that may sound simple, people, yeah. but it is not always, especially right. for COVID. How many of us have had to like, change our thought process from the from the newscasters that, that yes you do need to wear pants not shorts because <laughs> so, i mean i try and, and i try to keep myself as light as possible because of my own isms right in my life so i just the we transition every day everything mm -hmm. is a transition whether we're changing whether we're buying a house 
buying a car, deciding mm -hmm. to lease or rent, you know, we're always in a state of transition. And I think if we can become experts in that, then making the transitions would be so much easier. And right. And, and, and one of those things is like you, you just gave a great example, right? When you made the choice to become an author and to choose that pathway with, you know, with Lila and the story she's bringing, that is all about, you know, your audience is going to be other women veterans, others who love to read about our stories. And so that is a, that's an audience where you chose to reveal everything that you did. Okay. <laughs> But that's part of the expertise needed in your transition is you're not always going to do that with the next audience, right? So now you're getting your MBA and let's say that you decide to, I don't know, I'll just pick this, uh, go do the PhD project because you want to be a business school professor one day, okay? When you apply to that project, uh, you're not going to reveal anywhere near what you did in the book because your audience is expecting you to contribute value differently. Right. And so that expertise that you're talking about, yeah, we're transitioning all the time. But I think one of the hard things for veterans is how much to share. Do I say I'm a sniper? No, not unless you're joining a SWAT team. Right. And so that that skill set of what do I reveal? It isn't like you're lacking content. <laughs> is anybody here <laughs> lacking content about their lives? No, it's it's about really it's it's being intentional with. You know, these are all the things I could say, but then depending on who the audience is that I want to influence, because that's, that's what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to influence a specific person. It's important to know about them and yeah. their psychology. So, Melissa, when you're applying to your PhD program, right, uh, I would imagine that you're going to maybe do the personal branding exercise again to position yourself as the must-have researcher candidate in your program, right? That's going to be your, your audience. And uh, Olivia, I don't know who your next audience is that you need to influence. Who is it going to be, right? Yep. But that's no, process, you now have it, right? Mm -hmm. um, speaking of the process, what was the hardest thing for you when we went through the process, when I took you through the questions, remember, uh, just <laughs> to, to, for the audience that hasn't seen the process, I asked questions about career success things that you're proud of, projects you're working on that showcase your talents, most interesting things that have happened to you, things that you built. We basically go across your experience as a human, as a woman, as a veteran, as a teacher, all the different parts. You draw on whatever you want to draw upon. It's a brainstorming exercise. And I ask in the middle, so how does this feel for you to bring out these things to the forefront of your mind? Do you remember what that was like for you? Uh, I'll ask um, Melissa first. Like, do you remember something about that process, how you felt about it? Did you love it? Was it awkward? Like, how did you feel about it? Yeah, in the middle of it, it was definitely uncomfortable. Um, and I think because it wasn't that I was being asked to share things that I was ashamed of, it was really feeling like I was bringing things in that in my brain, I had already moved on to being the expert of the next thing. And so it was like, well, what do you mean? Like that? time when I was doing construction was that that wasn't that's not relevant now mm -hmm. except that you know as we went through the process it became very clear well of course it was relevant because I I did bring it into teaching and mm -hmm. I do bring it into prototyping and I I do love you know our our home is a maker space really 
I love it. To, I love it. Pick, pick yeah. your partner up appropriately so if you're going to have a home as a makerspace. <laughs> there you go. Yes, I have that. Yes, no, I know what you mean. No, that's that's really that's true because it is in that process, and I do it very intentionally, just to remind you that the things that you've done before they do have potential relevance. Mm -hmm. They right? don't fall. Right. Because of the skills that you bring forward. Right. Not just that I won this award because I did this. No, it's what did you learn there? That is now a skill that you can showcase as part of your forward looking value. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's wonderful. Olivia, how about you? How did the process feel as you were going through it and, and bringing up all these things in your mind to think about what to say next? Honestly, as soon as you said it, I was uncomfortable. So when Melissa said it, I was like, ah, yes, it was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Because we're not used to, I think, like, it's kind of with, and I will, I'm going to go ahead and say with men and women, it's very different. Men, you know, we're, they're told, praise yourself, show what you've done. Women, don't be so loud. Don't be so boastful. You're, you're showing off, you know, like all, there, there's all of this negative connotation to when we share our greatness right and so for me personally that was something i had to get over because you kept telling me just shut it all off because this is something graciela tells me every time i write <laughs> leave the editor at the door don't let them in right because yep. i will as i'm i was thinking even as i was doing the exercise i was like oh i can't say that i mean who am i to think that you right know, right um, yeah I flew a multi-million dollar helicopter. Um, you did. I did do that. Yeah, let's write that down. <laughs> there might be some relevance to communicating your value with that. Yeah. Just well, in my head, so in my able to be proud that it is okay to be proud of myself. And I think that's what the uncomfortable part was for me is that I had to say, okay, yes, you made it very easy. What I love about what you did, and I, I definitely implore anybody who's watching this to go and to be part of this session with you because you put it very plain. It's just like, okay, from one to 10, write this. You got, you got two minutes. Yeah. From one to whatever, you got this. Yep. Do it. Yep. There was, there was yep. no time to think. It was just yep. dumping. And right. That made a difference. And I just, I thank you for that. Well, okay. Maybe I need a new tagline. Um, making veterans uncomfortable one at a time. <laughs> right. Because it is intentionally uncomfortable because you are thinking about your greatness and we're not used to it because we are servant hearts. We are humble people. We have cultural messages like from the way I grew up in Spanish, calladita te ves más bonita, which means you are so pretty when you're quiet. When you're raised with that, you know, turning around and accepting your greatness and communicating is really the last thing you want to do. Super uncomfortable. But I hope you agree that it is necessary to let the world know your greatness and your value because only you can do that, right? So we're going to wrap up, but I just want to thank you guys for telling your stories. They're amazing. I, I knew this would just be like free flow of awesome stories. And I celebrate you, my veteran sisters, beautiful women on this International Women's Day. And thank you for sharing everything you did and inspiring so many people to accept their greatness and communicate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, and thank you, Dr. Hansen, for this opportunity to spotlight Melissa and Olivia. I hope it's it was wanted. It's been an incredible privilege, and and I always make notes whenever these are happening, and I've got a page full of notes of inspirational words and and moments as well. So, thank you, Graciela, for emceeing and bringing the these amazing women together. Olivia and Melissa, thank you for sharing your stories. You are both inspirational, and I do thank you all for your service. Um, you've not only made a difference in the military, but you're making a real difference in the lives of others now. So, thank you for what you're doing. 
We hope everyone who's watched and commented through today's session uh, will join us again on another Veteran Stories. Thank you to those who did put a comment. It's always encouraging when you're sharing and there's maybe a little bit of nervousness and we're revealing, you know, private details. And like Olivia said, you know, putting those words out there on paper, you know, everyone can see it, putting things out here on YouTube and Facebook and LinkedIn. Everyone can see your stories. So thank you very much, ladies, for sharing and happy International Women's Day. Really appreciate you all. Uh, those of you watching, yeah. thank you all. Those of you who have commented, thank you very much. We look forward to seeing you again on another Veteran Stories Difference Maker.